for the touch of your lips, dear, but much more for the touch of your whips, dear. You can raise welts like nobody else as we dance to the masochism tango. Welcome, everybody. This is Ourgasm. It is a podcast where we talk about decolonizing sexuality and gender. And I am Lindsay G. I use she, her, and hers pronouns, and I am pretty comfy with they and them pronouns as well. And I am Lenny Peppers. I use she, her pronouns. What are we talking about today, Lindsay? Oh my gosh, we are talking about Disney and I am so excited. (laughs) Um, Like I was completely raised on Disney, Uh, Disney films, Disney television. We watched the wonderful world of Disney every Saturday evening in my house when I was a kid and we taped a lot of them. So then as I grew up, I went back and rewatched a ton of them on VHS tape. So I have just like Disney in my DNA at this point. So I am pumped to talk about Disney in in regards to gender relations and patriarchy and uh, sexuality and all of that. I uh, didn't watch really any Disney until I was in my very late teens and early adulthood. But I became a teen mom and that's when I really started watching Disney when I was like 19 and then in my early 20s when I had a bunch of young kids. I actually I rewatched a lot of Disney when I was a little older because I had a sister who was much younger than I was. I think I'm I'm like 10 years older than her. So when she was growing up and I was a teenager, I rewatched a lot of things that I might not have watched like with a per- as a person with more experience in life if mm-hmm. she hadn't come along. But I didn't really question any of it until much later in my life, so. Yeah. Basically, I just grew up on a reservation, and all we had, uh, we didn't have any, like, cable. We didn't have any internet. We didn't even, our reservation didn't even get connected to internet until, like, the late 90s. And so we had, like, a little tiny trailer that had movies in it, and it was just, like, whatever the, like, main movies were that came out that week. And the Disney ones were always rented before we could get down there, like when my parents were there <laughs> and stuff. And so we never really watched too many Disney ones. Wow. Uh, that's so, like, that is just so completely different. My childhood, <laughs> I can't even imagine. The movie theater is, like, two hours away. And so if you wanted to go drive two hours and watch a two-hour movie and then drive home two hours it had Mm -hmm. to be like an entire day trip and you have to buy dinner and you have to you know like it just was like way too expensive so yeah yeah it's a whole undertaking I feel like most of my early Disney experiences were on VHS and on TV we we also didn't have cable but they did the wonderful world of Disney I think it was on PBS so we got that because I also grew up like an hour away from a movie theater. So it was a big deal when we went to the movies. And maybe the very first movie I ever remember going to the theater to watch was The Aristocats. Ooh. And it was like I a big deal. I've like, never seen that one. I don't think I've seen it since. Like I I recently thought I would rewatch it and I started it and I was like, none of this is familiar to me. I have no idea what's going on and I gave up. <laughs> Which is crazy because you know how much me and you love cats. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know why I came up on that one. Um, 
actually wait no i think i remember it was because we had gone to dinner before because like you said it was like a whole undertaking um to go out to a movie and then we left dinner late like something happened and we missed like the first 20 minutes of the movie Ah. so when I went back and tried to watch it on Netflix or whatever I was watching the first 20 minutes and I was like what the hell is going on I don't remember any of this (laughs) it's all coming together (laughs) anyway none of that matters um but we did have ABC that was the one channel we got was ABC and ABC is technically Disney yeah when did that happen though because I feel like I I have no idea I know we had TGIF I feel like Disney was a big deal. You know, when I, when I was a kid, obviously it was a very big deal. I grew up on it, but it had not yet become the gigantic entertainment conglomerate that it is now. Yeah. I'm not really sure when that started happening, but, you know, when I grew up, I don't think that Disney had its fingers in every single pie. And now yeah. it owns everything. It owns Marvel. It owns Star Wars. It owns uh, the Muppets. It owns the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh my god, I forgot about that. That's, ugh, that's yeah, gross. <laughs> yeah, it owns it owns all of Broadway pretty much. At this yeah, point. um, and they are now one of the largest media companies in the entire world. So yeah, yeah, but it's basically Disney and Warner Brothers. I think Warner Brothers is owned by a larger company too, so it's still kind of. I think I'm not sure about that. I should look that up. Um, but yeah, Disney owns everything and they are extremely litigious about protecting their intellectual property. So, um, I feel like the Disney of my childhood was probably on that path, but it had not yet turned into like the, the towering behemoth that it is now. Um, and I don't know. I, I don't know how to feel about that because I'm not really sure how how do I say this? I feel like in my childhood, Disney was pretty much inescapable and I feel like they are even more so now. (laughs) Um, I mean, yeah, they totally like, I knew what Disney was. I always like wanted to go to like Disney World or Disneyland yeah. uh, when I was a kid and stuff. So I, it was definitely like even like reaching us like out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Disney was like really the only game in town for like big deal family friendly entertainment. I have realized since then that so much of my understanding of just how to be, especially as a woman, but even more generally, just like how you be a person is really strongly based on what I saw in Disney films because they were so formative to me. Um, And I kind of feel like learning to think critically about who I am and who I want to be, particularly when it comes to performing gender, Mm -hmm. like it's been like unlearning Disney. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the Disney that I have, like, that was fundamental in my childhood was, like, Disney cartoons that would be on on, like, Saturday morning. Right. But it's same. the same thing. I mean, it's the same. I mean, you still learn the same lessons. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk, let's talk a little bit about those lessons. Um, I feel like for me, one of the really big ones was that um, as a 
as a woman or as a girl more specifically in, in Disney uh, Topia, um, you are allowed to be the main character, but you are not expected to, to save yourself. Like as a female main character, you are allowed to take center stage, but when you inevitably get yourself into trouble, probably a guy is going to have to come and get you out of that trouble. Yeah. Even for me, seeing Pocahontas like as a main central character was a big deal. And there's so much wrong with Pocahontas. And I think that we could definitely get into this in a whole nother episode about like um, Pocahontas and film and why that's wrong. As a child and not really knowing about like those like idiosyncrasies when it came to race and and gender and why that's important to me in film I was just a kid an older kid (laughs) watching (laughs) with children (laughs) even me children at that young of age but I and I was watching Pocahontas and kind of taking in what they were putting out and it was that same lesson that even though you can be like the main person, the main character in that, in this case, it was actually even a white guy that came in and saved her, which has like colonial importance to the entire portrayal of of her and what what that was representing. Well, and I I mean, particularly uh, as pertains to Disney's version of Pocahontas and the story that we are fed Um, about Pocahontas it's an interesting one because Pocahontas actually saves him too Mm -hmm. like it goes both ways and I feel like in a lot of Disney's um, interpretations of different stories there's almost always an argument to be made that the female character does do her own saving of the male character in most cases, not all of them. Well, I mean, I actually started writing a joke about Pocahontas and it ended up with me talking about my relationship with my husband. Mm-hmm. And my husband is a white guy. I am native. And the joke was somebody had come up to me and like asked me if I was uh, getting colonized by that guy. And I was <laughs> like, uh, no, six more humans enrolled in my tribe. <laughs> and so technically I decolonized his dick (laughs) (laughs) and not him colonizing me so and his dna nicely and his dna yeah like (laughs) so but like i don't know just thinking about pocahontas and and like what that would look like if like someone like me were to rewrite it right yeah that's that's really the question, right? Obviously, like, I wouldn't use Pocahontas. She was considered <laughs> our first murdered missing indigenous woman. Oh, shit. Yeah. And she got uh, taken back to Europe. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And she was only a child. There's a native author, I'm trying to remember her name right now, who actually rewrote Pocahontas or wrote oh, Pocahontas cool. from a different perspective. Paula Gunn Allen. That's what Paula it was. Paula Gunn Allen. That's that's awesome. I'd love to read that. So since we're talking about Pocahontas, this is probably like a complicated question, but I wonder what the experience was like for you because you were coming to it, you know, older and wiser than like when I saw it when I was a kid, probably. Um, 
And I feel like the thing that really gets me about Disney films generally, because I'm white and they're mostly about white people, is that I see myself in the female characters. And so there's a big part of me that, hmm, what's the word, that identifies, you know, with each of those female characters. But I would imagine that for you, the experience of seeing Pocahontas was probably like a double-edged sword because on the one hand, here's actual like kind of representation of someone that you can kind of identify with more and that's got to be like a good feeling but also tempered by a really bad feeling because the story is completely not true um and there's all of these there's all this coding in the character about how you're supposed to be yeah totally like as a child obviously i don't know that i did not even come close to knowing what i knew now as a child seeing pocahontas i saw another native american on screen and so like you said it was a double-edged sword where uh, disney is putting out like this really stereotyped image of a native american like an indian maiden uh, as the actual stereotype term now i study representation of natives in film and an indian maiden is always like this young virginal type character and that's really very Disney like we have the the female character who is good the representation of good Disney is all about good and evil there's always like this dichotomy and it's the same with Native Americans and Western films there's a good versus evil but the natives are always the evil and there's only a dichotomy there can only be one of those two things everything is only black and white right so this is one of the films where we actually had native characters playing um doing the voices for the characters Mm -hmm. and even though they had say on some of the smaller things they actually didn't have much of much say on like the larger um, things that they had tried to make over this film and so i was able to like hear a native actress speak uh through this character's voice and I was able to see this character that was the same color as I am and see her in like a traditional Disney princess perspective but they also still furthered these stereotypes of there's only the Indian maiden and then an Indian maiden will never she's always an Indian princess and that's what she is she's a Disney princess Mm -hmm. Uh, and an Indian princess will never ever ever become an Indian queen. There's not even an idea for that. And so all of these other Mm. Disney princesses are all like going to become queens and live happily ever after. But that was never, ever going to happen to Pocahontas. You never see Pocahontas drawn as an adult queen because ultimately she probably, and in real life, she didn't become one but right in the Disney universe she didn't become one either because then you become a squaw right oh my god you're blowing my mind right now (laughs) yeah and a squaw is basically a middle-aged woman who has children but is no longer sexy no longer sexual in any way whatsoever and yeah she's a bearer of children primarily at that point right not only that but like Going coming from a like vivacious like Indian princess character to not even like 
having any intellect whatsoever just being kind of like a worker bee like out like working around and like Mm -hmm. having no mind for their of their own and I know that this is definitely not for my tribe the way that things work (laughs) I mean I, I know that my grandmother was one of the very first Uh, My great-grandmother was one of the very first council members for our tribe. We had women who were, like, important to uh, making decisions in our tribe all the way back to the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. And then after we have the squaw representation, then we have the the crone, basically. Mm -hmm. And we see her in, also in Pocahontas, like, you see the middle-aged women in Pocahontas and none of them have any personalities. You don't even remember them. Does Pocahontas have a mother in the film? I don't even remember. Yeah, me neither. Like, if she's there, I don't think she says anything. She has to have. She exists. Everybody who exists had a mother, right? Right. <laughs> and then we have we have the crone, which is her grandmother. She, like, kind of controls the wind and the water and all this stuff. And it's magical and mystical, which is great until somebody like me is trying to get actual change for people in today's world when it comes to like getting health care for our Mm COVID-19 victims who, you know, have it worse than everyone else in the entire state. And everybody can only see us as magical, mystical, like, Mm -hmm, you know, whatever. (laughs) So can't, can't your medicine man cure you? Yeah, right. right. But then in the end, ultimately, the grandmother also is sexless and has mm-hmm. no, like... Yeah, she's literally a tree. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's nothing going on there. Right. And it's so... makes me so angry because I see sexy older women all the time. And to think yeah. like that we were actually raised to believe that. It's specifically as native girls, like to believe that there is no, that you, you, like after you have a child, after you're married, after you're claimed by your man or whatever, you are (laughs) no longer a maiden and you are now sexless from here until forever and dumb. Right. And like, I have two thoughts on this. Number one is the weirdness of the fact that Pocahontas is drawn and I feel like voiced even and portrayed generally as like older than most of the other Disney princesses. She looks older. She's like physically quite developed um, and like tall even, you know, like she she looks much older to me than say like um, Aurora in Sleeping Beauty, you know? Wow, you know, Actually, in um, America, girls of color are seen as being older than the dominant population. And it affects us in real life terms where Native American women in Montana are thrown in youth homes and jails at much younger ages than girls anywhere else. There was actually one girl who was raped at 13 years old. And the judge said that she seemed older than her age. Oh, And God. she ended up killing herself. And it's oh awful. I just want to cry every time I tell this story. 
But it's important to know that when you portray yeah. Native girls as looking older than other girls and they're supposed to be a princess like these other girls, mm-hmm. then it still adds to that. Like, Yeah, people, like, I mean, literally there were people in America and elsewhere in the world who saw Pocahontas and, like, literally learned everything that they knew. Mm-hmm. Or most of, you know, it was like that and the story of Thanksgiving and the pilgrims. Like, yeah. And so the messages that they take away from that film are huge to their understanding of being a Native American person. But Pocahontas was being shown uh, as being voluptuous and curvy Mm -hmm. since the 1700s. Wow, really? Mm -hmm. And in, in the historical account, she was what, like 12 at that time? Uh, yeah, she was very, very young, um, preteen. And it was uh, like Pocahontas is one of our foundational American plays. And in the very first place, she was already being shown as voluptuous, curvy, sexy. And mm-hmm. um, that trend continued in almost every single portrayal. And she is, she's one of the most um, depicted women native american women in film to this day not just in film but in media in general yeah yeah and her name has been thrown around quite a lot over the past six years or so in political circles as well as a pejorative Mm -hmm. um yes that was going on for a long time before donald trump started using it to describe elizabeth warren but it definitely trended i guess when he was talking about that Yeah, there was a teacher that used to call my sister Pocahontas all the time. And I think about that, like, I I like, like, I lay in bed and think about that. And I'm like, that's so fucked up. Right. I mean, like, that's literally, that's literally the cultural touchstone that people feel like they have to access anything having to do with Native Americans. And it's deeply upsetting on so many levels but it really it's also the the disney film pocahontas is also sort of a condensed version of all of the stereotypes and all of the misconceptions that have been you know filtered down to us through the years to what the dominant culture understands about native american cultures right um, so it's it's like honest, at least in that way, this idea that like middle-aged women are invisible worker bees, um, from my understanding, really comes down to us now from the fact that when European and European descended white folks were expanding westward and were trying to make basically like land deals with native tribes, they ignored the women. They were like, oh, look, this guy is clearly in charge, never considering the idea that women could possibly be in charge of a group of people. <laughs> yeah, and there were definitely groups of people with women in charge and and people with both in charge. Um, yeah. I think one of the things uh, when we look at like men and women, especially in Disney film and, and like the ideas, like even in Pocahontas, is that the reason why these are all young women and they, I, I, I want to call them women. We can't say girls because eventually all of them like 
are fall in love like by the middle of the movie right right yeah and are getting ready to get married and so um and they're all very very young they're all getting ready to get married and throughout like the entire thing anytime we do see like older women they're single because they had something wrong with them or because Uh they become widowed and um I think that's like the way that we look at old single women or like ended up looking at like old single women throughout um yeah recent history is like we see older women as having something wrong with them if they didn't get married right away yet Mm -hmm. we see men who could be single for much longer and then just be seen as bachelors right having fun with their life yeah right yeah and you know taking their time and choosing the right one and blah 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 yeah and and particularly in disney films like the villains are always older i'm Mm -hmm trying to think of an example of a younger villain and I'm not coming up with anything hmm like let's see we've got uh obviously the wicked queen the wicked stepmother um Maleficent Cruella de Vil um I guess uh in Pocahontas it's uh what's his name the the dude oh yeah <laughs> I can't yeah his name with the mustache the, guy yeah with the purple um, coat yeah and captain hook um jafar like they're all older people and most of them most of the ones that really stick like if you ask if you just you know went up to random people and asked them who their favorite disney villain is i would be willing to bet possibly with the exception of jafar that almost all of them are going to be the villainesses. Yeah, and and there's a reason for that. The Disney um, formula, actually, not just the Disney formula, the fairy tale formula, actually follows what is called the virgin whore or Madonna whore mm-hmm. binary opposition, mm-hmm. and it depicts women as being caring and kind and passive and submissive as weak right next to women who are like sexually unattractive and evil and usually evil means old yeah and i or means evil i feel like they're this this is because of something i was reading um earlier today actually about pornography which i think ties in here so i'm just going to tell you what it is which is that um milf porn is still like one of the most popular genres of porn for straight men mm-hmm. and that if you look at why that's the case it's often because um in milf porn the the older woman is portrayed as being more powerful she's more likely to be the active participant and to seduce the man and that's you know a big turn on for a lot of men that's totally legit and fine but i think it is the idea of older women being more powerful and especially if we're going back to like the brothers Grimm and Hans Christian Andersen where a lot of these fairy tale ideas come from um well (laughs) they were filtered through those men they didn't come from those men but right um, yeah this is something that happens in Shakespeare this is something mm -hmm. that happens in like gothic fiction it's a really old trope and I I think it is specifically because older women especially single older women don't have nearly as much to lose, right? They are powerful because they don't give as much of a fuck 
what people think of them very often like in history you have older women who are widows who got their husband's money and actually have some say over their own lives Mm -hmm. so they're therefore more male and that is scary and so they become the villains like you know the wicked stepmother in cinderella she's specifically scary because her husband died now she can do whatever she wants with his money right and when when he was alive, she was nice enough. There was no problem. As soon as he died, she became the villain. Right. Uh, we always have like bold features, but also sharp features versus soft mm-hmm. features, heavy makeup. And uh, always, always the villain, the villains and the villainesses are overactors. Like they are overacting mm-hmm. every single thing. That they do. <laughs> and- They're so much more interesting. Than yeah. the hero every single time <laughs> but like it's true that they like a woman's appearance is valued more than her intellect and mm-hmm. so that's why they have to make these older women that like have something wrong with them if they're not ugly unpleasant and and also like widowed or some something has made them evil and usually that thing is that they don't have a man to control them Right, exactly. Ursula. I didn't say Ursula before. Um, I know. Let's talk Ursula. about Ursula. Oh, God, I love Ursula. <laughs> she is, she's such a badass. There's no man in her life. Although I believe that there's some deep backstory between Ursula and King Triton. Yeah. I and I don't too. know what it is. Uh, it, I mean, it was a love triangle. You know how much Triton loves triads and try things. <laughs> he even has a big, huge <laughs> stick that he carries around with three points on it. He oh, definitely was having a love triangle and it went bad. And Ursula was the one that got the shaft in this. And she had something to say about it. And she took it out on his daughter, Ariel. Mm-hmm. She literally took his daughter's voice away from her. Yeah, and tried to just utterly destroy her. Yeah, she took her entire, like when she took her voice and her legs, she took her entire identity. She was in a place where she didn't know who, like how to tell people who she was. So she couldn't tell people what her identity was. Everything in this entire world was new to her. And so Mm -hmm. she took all that stuff away from her. Yeah, she arguably took her identity away. Right. Uh, And was going to take her identity. She clearly has taken people's identities before. But uh, she took all of the things away that she felt Triton took away from her, I think. Hmm, That's a really interesting angle. Because she does. Isn't there a scene where, like, she kind of, like, cozies up to Triton? And it definitely feels like there's a history here that Uh we're having. Yeah. Yeah, I bet, I bet it was because she was like a commoner or something and he ended up having to marry like, you know, the princess of the mermaids or whatever, who is conveniently gone. She is way too fabulous to be a commoner. She's clearly some kind of royal. Like she's clearly (laughs) like, she has been able to think that she's way bigger than all of the other people in her vicinity. And so she has, like, if she's not royal by blood, she's definitely like royal in my heart she's amazing i love her so much she's drag royalty <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. and she, is. she actually is mm-hmm. okay so we are going to do right a whole episode on mermaids in the future 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I just want to drop. Rain it in. <laughs> yeah. I just want to drop this. Like the little mermaid actually comes from a Hans Christian Andersen story. Right. And Hans Christian Andersen is now like confirmed as being gay. There's actually some really cool letters and stuff that he had written that you can read online, uh, like gay love letters. (gasps) Really? Mm -hmm. Oh my God, that's so juicy. I did not know that. Yeah, there's like um, Hans Christian Andersen to the Grand Duke of Weimar. Weimar? Whoa. Let's say Weimar. I have no idea. I have no idea either. (laughs) I'm from the res, people. Excuse me if I pronounce words wrong. (laughs) English is my first and only language. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, But yeah, so like he has gay love letters. And so it's like. So do you think that that affected his like retellings of these stories? Well, the Little Mermaid specifically was thought to be a love letter to the uh, author's, like, male crush. <gasps> oh. So, wait. Oh, my God. Okay, so the original ver- the original Hans Christian Andersen version of The Little Mermaid, she turns into sea foam, right? And just watches her lover as sea foam until she disappears, right? Yeah. So, I wonder if that's, like, <laughs> his convenient way of getting rid of a woman... <laughs> Like, just like they was coming between them, like, oh, she just disappeared. I don't know. I guess she's seafoam now. Yeah. (laughs) That's awful. I'm a bad person for thinking that, probably. The original story was really dark, and I'm going to save like more of this discussion for like our later episode. But um, there's this really amazing um, dissertation that somebody wrote as their thesis about specifically the Little Mermaid that I want to like someday share with you, but it's called Feminist Appropriations, Hans Christian Andersen's The Little Mermaid and the ways in which stereotypes of women are subverted or sustained in selected works. Wow. And so they talk about, they actually talk about the like Madonna horror binary opposition and they talk about like how Ursula and the Little Mermaid fall into these stereotypes but because this is a stereotype that's used in like all of the other Disney films I think it's important to know they are definitely representations of good and evil and are used to like kind of indoctrinate us. So I have recently been learning a little bit more about the Grimm brothers who uh, they got oral versions of folk tales from the region that is now Germany and wrote them down. And that's where between the Grimm brothers and Hans Christian Andersen, that's where most of our modern American folk tales and fairy tales come from. I think the Brothers Grimm did, they're responsible for like Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, Snow White. Many Disney films are based on their versions of things. Mm -hmm. And they were doing this around the turn of the 18th to the 19th century. So most of what they were writing down was pre-Victorian, but I would definitely go as far as to say that their versions of these tales put really heavy Victorian type attitudes about the roles of men and women into these stories. And I also found out that at the time, 
that they were collecting these stories. There was an interest in making a real culture of Germany, like a history Mm. and a folk culture of Germany. Sort of the concept of Germany as a place and a culture was literally being constructed at that time by philosophers and politicians and the Brothers Grimm got in there and were like, let's find out what the folk history and legends and tales of this region of the world is with the idea of making Germany a thing. So you know where they got that though? They got that from us. Oh, yes, yes, that's totally true. America was doing the exact same thing. They were building uh, like a folk history um, all the way from the late 1700s throughout Mm -hmm. the early 1800s. And you could see it in the uh, presidential speeches of that time. And they actually built the American folklore history on the backs of Native Americans as a vanishing, like, oh, that sucks that that happened to them. Let's try and be a better nation in the future and remember yeah. our past. <laughs> oh my God. And that that is really reflected and, in these folk tales because it's the right. same. They're, they're like these pagan ways, the fairies and the, the you know, all of the magic that mm-hmm. we no longer believe in. It's a relic of the past. Let's write it all down before it's gone. Exactly. Uh, that is huh. called Imperial Nostalgia. Oh my God. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> that's totally what it is. Yeah. Imperialistic nostalgia. Yeah. That's what and it's called. I would argue that like, look where it's gotten us. Like it basically whipped up the people of these areas into like nationalist frenzies that were then defined by war. And obviously things went horribly wrong in both cases, all in the name of, you know, progress toward a new and bold future for this group of people who we have lumped together and told that they're all the same now. And here are the stories that we look at to tell them how to be and how not to be. And coded into those stories are very much girls and women are meant to be pretty and kind and give and give and give and give of themselves. Um, Men are supposed to be heroic and upstanding and athletic and kind of barrel through everything and get their way. And people who deviate from those norms on either end of the gender spectrum or God forbid anybody who's like in the middle of the gender spectrum, (sighs) they're villains. This is how you be. And it's wild how that's built on the backs of these stories who, which were like for the most part meant for a completely different audience. And we're like really bringing in codes of like ethics that don't even make sense to most of us anymore. Right. Like there are some really weird Hans Christian Andersen stories that he wrote down that like, if you read them now, it's just like, what the hell is even happening here? Like there's one about like a sausage and like the sausage is the hero of the story and it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, what are you supposed to do with this? Because they're coming from like completely different cultures, um, like pagan cultures, you know, like the Celts, the Druids, those people. Mm-hmm. Um and they're, you know, what they thought you were supposed to act like is completely different than what we were told now. And I don't know. The whole thing is it's like a clusterfuck. <laughs> but no, but Disney picked them up and turned them into less of a clusterfuck and sold them to all of us. Okay, so like 
in early Disney films, like Ferdinand the Bull or The Reluctant Dragon, both of these have actually queer-coded main characters, but they're, like, not considered, like, deserving of their fate. They're, like, happy, and they're just moving through life, and they're not racked with guilt about who they are. I mean... The Reluctant Dragon was even described as a punk poet, and punk at that time was actually, um, like, slang for a homosexual male. Really? Yeah. But, like, then as we get, like, further into Disney films, everybody has to fit into this, like, established mold, or they have to, you know, suffer the consequences. Right, yeah. And so this is what the Indian problem was. Like, this is the problem with Native Americans was, was that Native Americans didn't fit into this mold. And so, mm-hmm. and they were trying to figure out what to do with the Native Americans who just would not die. <laughs> <laughs> we're still God. here, by the way. <sighs> and um, we kind of see this echoed not only like through main characters like Belle who's like this strong like smart woman and there's everybody's like she's so queer Mm -hmm. Um, but we also see it with other background characters like the hyenas in uh, (laughs) the Lion King and we could we could have an entire episode about how how hyenas do not conform to the gender roles that we have been taught people (laughs) and they're not sexy they're not sexy either but we have like this good an evil pervasive entrenchment of societal norms right but like there is one movie that kind of like does i mean there's still things wrong with it i'm not like saying like this is the best movie ever uh mulan kind of is different from everyone else but she like goes and she fits in she makes all these friends and she dresses as a man and takes a man's name and kind of and so there's like this thing going on there as well yeah, definitely. Mulan, like- Mulan and um, Moana definitely break a lot of the rules that Disney more or less established for itself. And there, I'm sure there are other films, but those are the two that like stick out most strongly for me. Um, but the interesting thing that I'm seeing, especially with Mulan and Pocahontas and Moana, is that whereas like... Sleeping Beauty, um, Snow White, Little Mermaid, um, Cinderella, all of these sort of like formative like Disney experiences are all based on things that we literally know are not true. They are literally fairy tales. Then Disney takes actual historical figures from other cultures and turns them into fairy tales. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. The historical Milan, although like I know that that's all it's like a super long ago. This is a very important story in Chinese culture, but I am not really clear on how much of a legend versus historical figure. Right. And then they do the same thing with um, Moana. But Pocahontas is definitely the most egregious example because we literally know that Pocahontas was a real human being. Right. Exactly. Um, And all of these other characters were not real human beings they were characters in other stories in other cultures i think uh, mulan was an was also a real character and uh, moana is is also a a real character yeah although i think that moana and mulan are a little bit more like they were so long ago that it's more of like a legend perhaps than a fairy tale 
Right. Um, and and Pocahontas like existed within the last few hundred years. <laughs> right. Exactly. And, and it's like, like there are relatives of her alive right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> like she has relatives. <laughs> that um, kind of one of the themes with all of these is that like these different girls is that they're worried that their parents would rather consider them as dead. Their feminism is called into question in different ways. And with Belle, it's because she's so smart. With Mulan, it's literally because she wants to be a guy. And uh, when it comes down to it, like having a gay daughter is the same as having a dead daughter in like these, this mindset. Huh. Whoa, 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 whoa. Break that down a little bit. Like, where are we getting gay daughter from? Specifically Mulan or more generally? In a lot of like dominant cultures throughout history, if you were to have a gay child, mm-hmm. uh, it's much better to have a dead child. A, right. a child who is queer isn't going to give you, I mean, right. Po- probably isn't going to give you grandchildren to carry on your legacy. Yeah. So. Yeah. Which is really like, especially for women, gay equals spinster, right. which they're equally bad because you're not making babies. Uh, which, by the way, uh, that's just a side note. In a future episode, we should talk about um, Wellesley weddings and Boston marriages, which are between like, which are like almost socially accepted versions of like gay women being able to live with each other for the rest oh. of their lives. But um, yeah, I mean, yes. <laughs> well, so let's talk a little bit about this like. I feel like the the way that Disney is really, really smart about enforcing these ideas of what it is to be female and and a hero at the same time um, is that they start out being these aberrant characters, right? Like Ariel wants to be a human. What the fuck is up with that? Like, yeah. And by the way, uh, we can talk about this more in the mermaid episode, but I just want to point out that the the line from the song where she says, flip in your fins, you don't get too far. I'm like, what, what are you talking? Do you know how much farther you can go with a fin? Like if you flap it, <laughs> then if you take a stride with your legs. Also the world is 70% water. You've got way more to explore below the ocean. I don't know this song. How does it go? Oh, because flipping your fins, you don't get too far. No, Legs you're gonna have to required. sing it. No, no, no. There's no happening. <laughs> <You're> sing it. <laughs> I was really hoping that I could get you to sing one of these episodes. I'm gonna get you to do it. But so, like, you know, Ariel wants to get out of the ocean for whatever reason. Belle is too smart. She's not interested in marrying the handsome guy. That's a problem. Um, in all of these stories, the the main character, the girl is a weirdo so you immediately are rooting for her because she's the underdog right everybody thinks she's a weirdo so you follow her story and then at the end of the story she is saved by her love for a man Mm -hmm. and then she gets to get married and that's the end of every woman's story so happy ending even though she started out as a weirdo she has conformed to the expectations that society placed on her to get married and probably have babies and live happily ever after. Right. She has been colonized. Right. Yeah. So she starts out as a weirdo and she ends up as exactly what we're supposed to be. Um, And it's very sneaky. 
and I would argue that like most of these stories, especially like the the old Germanic fairy tales, they have that in there also. Um, Who so is it's not your... necessarily. Disney Do you have a favorite Disney couple? Ooh, a couple. Oh, like the main characters couple could be anyone in the entire like. Well, uh... Isma and Kronk. Oh my god. <laughs> These men are so great, and yeah. we have like an older woman with a younger man. Mm-hmm. And, and I love how they make their relationship very ambiguous. Like, are they sleeping together? I don't know. Yeah, that corrects me. Yeah, uh, I really liked Shmi and Captain Hook. I feel like Shmi oh, is like yeah. the perfect balance to to Hook. Uh, yeah oh poor Shmi. I mean they're both bad guys, and it's not as fabulous. I was going, I was going to like be like really adamant about Shmi and Hook but then <laughs> but uh, I mean Hook's a little bit abusive though I mean to Shmi but then oh, yeah. you brought up Yzma and Kronk Yzma is still abusive to Kronk by the way oh, but yeah. um Kronk is literally too dumb to care so <laughs> it works out fine they're happy yeah, <laughs> yeah. but Yzma really is kind of the perfect example of the older woman being dangerous because She's got so much power. She's got all the power. And she doesn't give a single flying fuck about what anybody thinks of her. Well, she does have all the power. She was like mm-hmm. Busco's dad's most trusted advisor. And she was in yeah. charge of not only like the entire kingdom, but also Cusco, the next ruler of the kingdom. And so I like have kind of a soft spot for Yzma because she earned that place and she wasn't necessarily doing anything bad. Like it shows villagers being happy, but like the people who are having problems, it's Kuzco who's messing this stuff up, not Yzma. Kuzco is also kind of coded as being gay because he like right. has all of these beautiful women that he could marry. And he's like, uh, totally uninterested. Yeah. And he very much, I feel like, part of his character was like based on Christian Siriano. Maybe, actually, no, probably Emperor's New Groove came out before Christian Siriano was on um, Project Runway. <laughs> but they're, they're very similar, like smaller, skinny dudes who are just very persnickety and very, very gay. <laughs> And he's one of the only male Disney, like, royalty that we have. Yeah. Yeah. Who's, like, yeah, he's definitely queer-coded. I hadn't really thought about that, but it's really true. I didn't either until we just started talking about it. We have, technically, Aladdin is a Disney princess, not Jasmine. And the <laughs> movie is called Aladdin. Sleeping Beauty is the princess in that one Mulan yeah. is the princess in that one Aladdin should be the princess in Aladdin uh, we have one older villain who is kind of fixated on putting Aladdin in his place and we see that like as a theme like with even with the women like there's an older villain or villainess who is like mm-hmm. very much after the um younger Right. But here's an interesting distinction. And I don't know if it actually works or not. This is just a theory. But I would say that in the films where there's a female main character, people are literally out to get her, either her beauty or her youth or her power. Oh, yeah. Like actually take something physically from her. Right. It's, um, It's commodifying the female body. Like we literally want you to be dead or gone. But in Aladdin, they just want his lamp. 
And maybe his magic carpet. That's pretty cool too. Yeah. I would probably rather have the carpet than the lamp. What about Mulan? Mulan, I feel like is a tough one because of the, like, it's not, it's not a fairy tale. Mm -hmm. It's not a magical tale. It's a tale from history that they put magic in. So it's, I feel like it doesn't, it doesn't fit into the Disney tropes as easily. But let's see. Do I don't remember the very end of Mulan, right? So she comes home from the army. She admits what she's been up to. Her family's like, oh my God, you wonderful weirdo. You saved China. I don't remember clearly the exact ending, but the guy definitely shows up and the implication is definitely like, oh, don't worry. She's done with her whole dressing up as a man thing because now she's going to marry this guy. Yeah. So in but the he end, seemed she does... to like her like that though. Right. Yeah, I feel like probably behind closed doors, they're going to get real freaky with the cross-dressing, which is great. <laughs> yeah, like he, I mean, he was, he, uh, oh man, he was probably freaked out because he yeah. was like, he was like attracted to her as a man. Yeah, exactly. And like he was questioning a lot and to the point where he sang a whole song about be a man. Because yeah. he was like, I have to compensate for the fact that I'm slightly attracted to one of my soldiers. <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. I kind of mm. love that. Yeah. Like the ones that fall into the category, the, like the villains, they have clothing that covers most of their bodies. They all have sharp mm, features. Yeah. They all wear heavy makeup. They're all over actors. Gay. <laughs> <laughs> Disney was actually in talks with the FBI to make documentaries about pedophiles Felix predators like gay what? predators and so like we see <sighs> a sharp turn in older villains like preying on younger people and oh, like so eventually interesting they were like very very clear that other people who were working for disney um couldn't be outwardly gay or else like it was kind of unsaid that they would be fired we start seeing like all of these characters and then we have kind of a gap in this and then like things get a little bit better but not really that much and uh in that time frame we get pirates of the caribbean uh, oh. where uh michael eisner was uh apparently said something along the lines of johnny depp's character is ruining the film what is that thing is it drunk or is it gay that's great (laughs) Uh, so like we see like even though like disney by the late 80s like 40 percent of its workforce was lgbtq plus Mm -hmm. we still have like this horrible ideology that's being pushed even in what was the early 2000s yeah up until pretty recently they were they had like it was basically like a don't ask don't tell policy i think for everything disney and they're still really, really not great with it. I mean, yeah. and then they were going to come out with Love, Victor and put it on their platform, but it was not family friendly enough. And so they oh. gave it to Hulu, which is a much smaller platform. And it huh. actually was, did really, really well on Hulu. But they basically, they'll throw stuff yeah. in there to pander. They will take queer people's money. But ultimately, when right. it comes down to it. Uh, they have a long, long ways to go. I remember a few years ago when they did the live action version of uh, Beauty and the Beast and how much of a huge deal they made out of having their first out gay character 
in that film and it was LeFou. Mm-hmm. And everybody was like, okay, you have to A, make it a bad guy and B, make it the bad guy that everybody makes fun of throughout the entire movie. Like, seriously, <laughs> that's the best you can do. And I don't think that since then in any of their like big features, they've actually made a big deal out of anybody being gay. And it's like, guys. You- no, they haven't. In fact, they got in trouble with Mulan, like the most recent Mulan. Right. Because they took all of that like subcontext out entirely. The interesting thing about talking about LGBTQIA plus representation mm-hmm. in Disney films for me is that as a kid, I locked on to Maleficent in Sleeping Beauty. Oh my God, I- yes. I was obsessed with Maleficent. I am still completely obsessed with Maleficent. Ugh, and I she's believe... the best name. Uh, <laughs> she she oh. is the queen of all evil and she turns into a dragon. Like it doesn't get cooler than that. And, and she I... is all the way covered up. Like she's the evilest mm-hmm. because she even is covered up like from her head all the way to her toes. So. Yeah, but even <laughs> with all of that, she is still this like regal, beautiful woman. Like mm-hmm. she is so powerful and terrifying. And I was so drawn to her that even though like there are so many things about the movie Sleeping Beauty that I fundamentally disagree with at this point in my life, I it is still one of my favorite movies of all time because I love her so much. And it wasn't until very recently that I realized that that was my, one of my very earliest like tingles of being gay was that I was so drawn in by this character. And I think that, I mean, partly it was because I found her physically beautiful, but also it was the queer coding around the fact that she was not attached to a man and she was still powerful. And I think that 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 coding around a lot of Disney villains, you know, Jafar, dude wears eye makeup. Um, Ursula is a drag queen. Yeah, Shere um, Khan. <laughs> Shere ooh, Khan yeah, good is point. like another one of the older villains, like go after like this literal child, like right. raised in the forest. And good point. Uh, he has this English accent and he, I mean, he had to be really, really pushed to like show like anger. He mm. was hunting at one point and somebody interrupted him and he is like, oh, that was, that sucked. Like basically, you know? Yeah, he's like, he's so cool and calm and collected. Yeah. Um, and then there's like Captain Hook who, I mean, just look at him. <laughs> you know? I, um, I did love these- Ursula. Ursula was kind of... Um, made after divine as a model they use like divine as a model but really i mean that is not surprising but i'm so happy to hear that (laughs) but they insisted that she be voiced by a woman and she wasn't even supposed to sing like at all and they actually insisted that they put this like had her sing this song in this movie can you imagine that movie without her song Uh uh-huh poor unfortunate souls yeah i see (laughs) okay all right (laughs) You win. But yeah, like I don't, I didn't, hadn't actually come across the concept of queer coded villains until very recently, actually. Um, and once I started thinking about it, I like so many things about my childhood just fell immediately into place. Yeah, <laughs> and same. the biggest one being my complete obsession 
with Maleficent. Um, and so it's weird that like Disney has been so terrible about queer representation in its movies because like it's arguably been putting queer people in movies since the 50s. And it wasn't until very recently that I realized <laughs> that that's how I should have known that I was gay. But I didn't, I did not put that together until very recently. <laughs> well, I have had an amazing time talking about Disney films and now I want to go back and watch them all. And that's the thing about Disney. Like literally all of these movies I can now watch and be like annoyed and disgusted by the ways that they are reinforcing like gender roles and like other things that I don't agree with, but I still love them deeply because they are a fundamental part of my childhood. And I will rewatch them because uh, characters like um, the big sister in Lilo and Stitch mm. and uh, Megara. We didn't even talk yeah. about her, Gillies. There's so much. No. Uh, and some of the other characters were like my like first like girl crushes that I ever had in my entire life. So. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and they were yeah. villains. Good job. Way to, oh, no, way to get no. crushes I, on non-villains. No, I... I I do have a crush on Ursula. I have a crush on Maleficent. I have a, you know, yeah. but um, but you know, for the non-villains, it's always yeah. the, the weirdo girls that I liked. We should do an episode where we just talk about all of the people in pop culture that we have crushes on. <laughs> <laughs> that would yeah. be fun. Oh my god, we need a guest <laughs> for that. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, a juicy guest. Okay. Yeah. We'll start searching. Yeah. <laughs> So speaking of which, everybody, we are going to start doing episodes with guests pretty soon. Um, we don't have all of the details nailed down yet, but we're really excited. We have a list of folks that we are going to get on this show. And as soon as we know when and where and what we're going to be talking about and who we're going to be talking about it with, we're going to let all of you know. Yep. And our next episode, we will be talking about comics, uh, which I write comic books uh, Lindsay writes comic books and yeah we we have a lot to talk to about this yeah and we're huge nerds um so we have a lot of talking to do about comic books <laughs> and, and we're colonizing sexuality <laughs> through comics yes um which is a fascinating discussion I'm not gonna go off on a tangent right now I swear but I'm really excited about it yep <laughs> okay everybody Thank you for listening to Ourgasm. We will be back next time to talk about comic books. I am Lindsay G, and I am signing off. I am Lenny P. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Let our love be a flame, not an ember. Say it's me that you want to dismember. Blacken my eye, set fire to my tie as we dance to the masochism tango. At your command, before you here I stand, my heart is in my hand. Ugh. It's here that I must be. My heart entreats. Just hear those savage beats. And go put on your cleats. And come and trample me. 
your heart is hard as stone or mahogany. That's why I'm in such exquisite agony. My soul is on fire, it's aflame with desire, which is why I perspire when we tango. You caught my nose in your left castanet, love. I can feel the pain yet, love, every time I hear drums. And I envy the rose that you held in your teeth, love, with the thorns underneath, love, sticking into your gums. Your eyes cast a spell that bewitches the last time I needed 20 stitches to sew up the gash that you made with your lash as we dance to the masochism tango. Bash in my brain and make me scream with pain, then kick me once again and say we'll never part. I know too well I'm underneath your spell, so darling if you smell something burning it's my heart. Excuse me. Take your cigarette from its holder and burn your initials in my shoulder. Fracture my spine and swear that you're mine as we dance to the massacre. Kiss tango.